advice to young leaders is to, is to have courage. I think the biggest part of being a leader is being able and being willing to stand alone. You're listening to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast, the only leadership podcast run by undergraduate students dedicated to helping undergraduate students lead in diverse fields. From people in diplomacy to entertainment, from CEOs to student leaders, we feature people from all walks of life. It's all part of the mission. Here at the Vecina Leadership Institute, we make leaders better. Hello, Pirates. Welcome to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast. I'm your host for today, Dominic Valentine. And today we'll be talking Mr. Byron Hurt. Mr. Hurt is an activist, writer, speaker, and award-winning documentary filmmaker. He's known for his critically acclaimed documentaries such as Hip Hop, Beyond Beats and Rhymes, Soul Food Junkies, as well as Hazing, which won Best Documentary at several film festivals. Using many media platforms, most notably filmmaking, Mr. Hurt sheds light on many issues such as exploitation of hypermasculinity in society, gender-based violence and discrimination, and other societal issues. Good afternoon, Mr. Hurt. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Dominic. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. So, so just to get just right to get into it, um, um, what are your initial, what are your initial inspiration behind filmmaking in general? Like, like what started the fire? What started like what lit the fire for you? Well, I've always been activist oriented. I've always looked up to and been inspired by civil rights activists and, and icons who did work to raise awareness about certain issues that affect African Americans specifically. And I was introduced to a filmmaker by a professor. Uh, named Marlon Riggs. The filmmaker's name was Marlon Marlon Riggs. And his films really inspired me. You know, I was really blown away by his work. And I thought, wow, you know, this is a really powerful way to reach people using media. It's a powerful way to, you know, help people better understand how racism racism affects us as a people, to shed light on issues that people don't really know much about. And so that's what really inspired me to make films. I was a journalism student when I was in college, so I wanted to get into radio and television broadcasting. But then, you know, after doing some internships at three different TV stations and I wrote for a newspaper, I said, hmm, I kind of want to go a little bit more in depth, you know, when exploring social issues. Because I want to be able to provide a much larger social, historical, political context to the issues that I wanted to address. And so Marlon Riggs, as a filmmaker, he gave me the inspiration and he gave me like a, a model for how you can reach a lot of people at one time watching a documentary film and, and like making films that are really transformational. Thank you very Thank much you for that. that. You know, it's, it's, it's clear that, clear um, that um, a lot of people, lot of people who go to make go films, to make there's, there's a real initial initial fire that kind of lights them. I guess going to my second question, it's very clear across multiple platforms that you take pride in your experience in activism and you use that to influence the films that you're making. Let's take Hazing, for example. For our viewers at home, can you just give us a brief synopsis of Hazing and you know what the documentary entails? So Hazing is a documentary film that takes a broad look at the culture of hazing in America. And so I look at several different spaces where hazing exists. Greek life, which is an obvious one, sports culture, performance organizations like marching bands, and other places like you know, clubs and other organizations where hazing exists. 
And the, the goal of the film was to, again, create awareness and to get people to think more critically about the culture of hazing, to really inform people about its multiple impacts, psychological, emotional, and physical. Also, I wanted to you know, show or demonstrate the harm that hazing, when it goes horribly wrong and someone dies, I want, I want audiences to see and feel the impact that it has on families, right, who lose a, a loved one. And so the film is a very broad-based look at hazing in America and what we could do to end it. All right. All right. Thank you for Thank that. You for that. Um, um, so, so going on, could that, you give, you us, give a us a glimpse into like the pre-production process? You know, how, how you found these certain things, how you put your crew together and things like that. That's a good question. Very few people ask me that question, so I appreciate it. Uh, the pre-production process is a fairly lengthy process. The pre-production process is the time, the period of time that you take before going into production, before you start shooting interviews and shooting other footage, acquiring other assets that you need to help tell the story. I spent several months, I can't remember how many, probably somewhere between three to six months, just figuring out my approach to telling the story. I also took time to figure out which stories I wanted to focus in on, whose stories I wanted to center, and why. And I wanted to make sure that, you know, I was, I was being as diverse as possible in terms of, like, race and gender and those sort of things. So the pre-production process really entailed doing a lot of reading, read a lot of articles about hazing culture, which, I mean, it was just a tremendous amount of material out there, so many hazing cases to, to like examine and look at. I reached out to people whose stories touched me. So I would either email them or DM them on social media or figure out their, their phone number and call them and reach out to them and let them know that I was making a film about hazing and wanted to, you know, feature their story, ask, request an interview. And then, of course, you have to hire your team, you know, your producer, associate producer, your director of photography and all of the other support crew that you need to actually shoot a film. So that was a part, that, all of those things were part of the production process, pre-production, the pre-production process. Thank you very Thank much you very for much giving us a glimpse of the pre-production, pre-production, pre-production process. process. So hazing so is one of your newer films, films, right? Has there been, been any, any notable differences in the production process that you've noticed as you've grown as a filmmaker from your first film to now, you know, getting into more of the futuristic aspect of yeah, so I have noticed some changes and differences. I think there, there's a lot more consideration paid to participants in a film. The people that, you, that, that are part of the film, the people that you interview or that you feature in a documentary. So taking more time to build trust with those participants, getting to know them, them getting to know you, making sure that you are you know, that your intentions are in the right place and that you are the right person to tell this story. Those are all things that I've seen shift since I started making documentary films. I think gone are the days when, you know, you just say, oh, I want to make a film about this. And you go into a community or you go into someone's home and you just shoot an interview and then you never talk to them again until it's time for the film to premiere. Uh, so we took a lot of time to, um, to like really build and develop a relationship with the people that we include in the film. And that relationship, <clears throat> excuse me, those relationships continue today. 
Excellent. Excellent. You know, build, building those relationships is definitely what fosters such a good culture when it comes to making these documentaries, you know, and really gives more meaning when it comes to the things behind them. So in an interview that I, that I researched about you, you said that all of your films have some sort of a common thread and all these films are kind of tied together in some way. What is that thread and how is that thread influence and sort of paints a picture of the future of filmmaking for you? Well, I think that there are a couple of common threads in most of my films. Most of my films are first-person narratives. In other words, I'm telling the story. I'm the person who's navigating through the issues or leading the audience um, through the story, either on camera or through my narration. So that's one common thread. Another common thread is that I typically focus on gender, masculinity specifically, but then also focusing on issues around violence as well. So I would say that those are some of the common themes in most of my films. Right. Excellent. So I was fortunate enough to attend one of your events firsthand. You came to Seton Hall University just a few short weeks ago, and we saw your documentary firsthand for our um, Greek organizations and things like that. After attending this event firsthand, I watched your documentary and you displayed both sides of the issue. Right. And we 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 understand both sides of how, you know, we can understand the issue. Besides hazing, one of your other documentaries, Soul Food Junkies, it talks about the rich culture of soul food and its relationship to black culture identity, but also the health risks of said food. As leaders in the Institute, we try to adopt some sort of mantra of understanding all sides. How is your experience with making films and keeping both of these sides in mind? Yeah, well, I do my best. I can't say that I always achieve, I said, you know, say objectivity because they are first person narratives. And on some level, they there is like an issue that I'm hoping to um, sort of shed light on. But, it's apparent it's that your films tackle hard hitting topics. Hazing you know, speaks for itself. With, with these topics, there's bound to be a little bit of back. back. What are your thoughts on this? How do you take this into Kind of, you know, further and further. I don't intentionally seek to make controversial films. That's not my goal. My goal is to tell stories about cutting edge issues that are rarely talked about and that, you know, sometimes are taboo subjects, right? But those subjects, because they are taboo, sometimes rub people the wrong way or they make people feel uncomfortable because. And, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, I'm talking about them, right? I'm talking about you. I'm talking about behavior that you may have been complicit in or have participated in on some, some level. And so a film like Hazing, controversial, right? Because it was a hard-hitting film. It is a hard-hitting film that challenges hazing culture. And it's a culture in which many people have participated in. And I'm talking about it out loud and publicly. And I'm also talking about my own personal experience with it, too, which is something that, you know, you're not supposed to do. So that's what makes it controversial, you know, and I knew that there were going to be people who were going to be uncomfortable with this topic, me exploring this topic in the film. But I decided to move ahead with it anyway and just prepare myself for that fallout, um, you know, when the when the time came to release the film. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, no. as, as somebody as who's, somebody, you know, training you know, through training like the television, like television, television film industry um, myself, myself, it's, yeah. it's, it's a, lot of, a lot of the professors and a lot of the people who I've worked under, they've said, they've like, said you need like, to make your audience feel something, yeah. no matter what no matter it is. What it because is. If, if, if there's if, no if impact, then what are you doing? I agree. I agree with that. And I think, again, as storytellers, as filmmakers, 
you want to make your audience feel some kind of emotion. You you want them to feel tension. You want them to feel conflict. You want them to 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 move from one end of the emotional spectrum to the other and somewhere in between along the way. Those, those make the best films, in my opinion. You know, films that are emotionally flat, that don't make you feel anything, are usually the films that you 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 forget about. But the ones that make you feel something, right? Where you remember a story, you know, something touches you to the point where you almost move to tears, or you feel anger, or you feel like, you know, you have to do something about the issue that the film is exploring. Those are the films that are lasting, that stick with audiences, that are timeless, and that remain socially relevant because they evoke feeling. Right, and that's you know right. that's, that's, the, that's the, know, biggest thing. the biggest thing. You know, invo- you invoking, know invoking invoking the feeling and making and making people feel some sort of uncomfortability. And to tie into my next question, um, that's kind of what we do here in the Bashino Leadership Institute. In the institute, we we try to encourage our students to wear a variety of hats, so to speak, or take different positions so they get some sort of holistic approach. Let's take you, for example, from activist to writer to speaker, award-winning filmmaker, director, producer. Can you highlight the value that comes with wearing these different hats and taking on these different positions? Well, I mean, I think the value for me is that these are all passions of mine. You know, I, I feel very passionate about all of the things that you just listed. Um, it's, it's the reason why I wake up in the morning. I don't have an, an alarm clock. You know, I don't I don't choose to make films about issues that I don't care about. You know, I care about the world that we live in. I care about people, you know, who are affected by the issues that I that I tend to address. And so the value for me is waking up every morning and feeling like I have a purpose, a sense of purpose in living my life and doing something that I think is going to have a positive impact on society. That That's the value to me. I feel a sense of fulfillment and I really enjoy doing the work that I do, especially as a filmmaker. You know, I just, I just get a real, I don't know, I don't know if thrill is the right word, but you know, I, I I I just think that filmmaking is such a challenge, right? To be able to conceive of something, you know, to conceive an, an idea and then work to bring that idea to fruition. Like that's that's a really powerful thing to do, you know, and, and when you do it and when you actually see something up on a screen or on a TV, on a TV screen or, you know, on, on social somewhere, you know, it really gives you a sense of fulfillment and accomplishment, you know? So that's that's what brings me to me. Mr. Hurt, thank you very Mr. much. Um, um, I guess just, I guess, just, I guess, uh, I guess uh, to wrap this up, uh, what is one piece of advice you can give our leaders? Not even just, not just for filmmaking, but just to take with them in their careers to enter the next level. My, my advice to young leaders is to have courage. I think the biggest part of being a leader is being able and being willing to stand alone in some cases, have people attack you or disagree with you sometimes publicly, especially in today's digital landscape where, you know, people can attack you from their computer, you know, their laptops or their their cell phones. I think it's important for leaders to always demonstrate courage because that's really what leadership is. It's, it's being able to stand up in the face of a problem and address them, even if you are afraid to do so. There've been many times where I have been afraid to speak, to use my voice, because I was the only person in the room who was addressing it. And, you know, and so, it, so I understand firsthand that it does require a lot of uh, courage to lead. 
I think it's also really important for leaders to surround themselves with other leaders and other people that they can lean on, you know, during those moments or times when they do feel alone. Because, you know, there's there's power in numbers. And when you can surround yourself with people who are like-minded and they may not be experiencing the same exact thing that you're experiencing, but they may be able to relate to what you're going through and you can have a shoulder to lean on, you know, a shoulder to cry on. That's what I think is, is really important to know and understand for a young leader. Thank you. I mean, you know, our leaders, you know, our leaders, you know, our leaders day you know, in and day out, you know, they hear, day that, day out, you know, they hear that, that keep doing what you're doing. It's going to get better. You're 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 going to get you on behalf of everyone at the Pasita Leadership Institute, I'd like to thank the podcast team, 89.5 FM WSOU, for allowing us to use their facilities, and you for listening. Follow us online at www.shu.edu backslash leadership, on Instagram at Pasita Leaders, and on Twitter at SHU Leadership. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better. <laughs>